This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 25. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That. My name is Grant Baldwin, and I am joyous. Yeah, I'm going to just come right out of the gate with a joyous. I dropped a joyous on you already. I'm really joyous, excited, happy, and just honored and appreciative that you decided to hang out with us today. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. I know there's plenty of different podcasts you could be listening to. Not just podcasts. There's just plenty of things you could be doing with your time, but uh, you decided to join us today, so that really means a lot. Really, really appreciate that. We've got a great show with you uh, for you today. Uh, looking forward to sharing this with you. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention to you is we've got a, a new PDF we put together that you can download at grantbaldoncom slash influence, but basically what we've done is uh, get emails from people and people reaching out going, how do you connect with some really, really cool, influential people? What's the secret there? And there's, I don't know that there is really any secret. I've just been very strategic and, and tactical in uh, connecting with people. So I open the playbook. I share with you exactly what I've done to connect with people. So I give you my, my 10 best strategies and tips. So if you want to download that, you can go to grantbaldoncom slash influence and check that out. All right, today we are joined by my friend uh, Jeff Goins, and Jeff is a prolific writer. The guy just cranks out really, really, really good content. And uh, not only that, but he teaches people about writing as well. So this is going to be a great episode. Uh, we spent some time talking about just defining your calling, how you recognize that in your own life. We talk about, this is crazy. We talk about how he quit his job and got a book deal in under a year. What? How do you do that? Is that even possible? But uh, Jeff did it, so he'll share that story. We'll also talk about uh, just raising the stakes on your work and making it public. And uh, just powerful, powerful stuff there. And then uh, we spend a lot of time, I'm just warning you, I'm prefacing this, that uh, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about a band that Jeff was in? For real? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to love the, the, the band name as well. So I hope you enjoy this. Hey, uh, you can find all the show notes, links, everything we did talk about at grandbaldoncom slash Jeff Goins. All right, let's get rolling. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, today I'm joined by my friend Jeff Goins of GoinsWriter.com. Jeff, how you doing, man? Hey, Grant. Good to be with you. I'm doing great. Awesome. So for someone that may not be familiar with you and uh, your work, what it is that you do, paint us a little picture, give us a snapshot of, uh, of your work. Yeah, so I'm a writer and basically what I do is I write books and teach other people how to be writers. And uh, so, you know, I, I write about the topics that interest and fascinate me. And then as I, um, you know, learn new things about writing, about publishing, about blogging, I share that with my audience, and then I have a, a business, uh, basically selling courses and other teaching materials to help other writers and communicators succeed in finding an audience for their message. Beautiful, well crafted there. So, is this something that you've always wanted to do, or is this something that you've kind of stumbled into? Or give it, paint us a little bit of a back picture. No, this is not something that I always saw myself doing. I, I think that. You know, looking back, I can see how this was something that I was being prepared to do. That in some way there were you know sort of snippets of destiny or calling along the way. But I never imagined that I would be a writer, probably because I knew that writers didn't make any money, and I just knew that it was very competitive and be very hard to do for a living. But you know, as I was, um, I was working as a marketing director for a nonprofit, and I had been doing that for about five years. And had been pretty successful at it. I kept getting 
promoted, kept getting raises. My boss kept paying me compliments. And so I was in a pretty you know, secure place where I could continue to work this great job. It was a good job. I enjoyed it. And probably, you know, never run any risk of, of getting fired as long as I didn't, you know, screw anything up. And so I was at this point where I was wondering, kind of in my mid to late 20s, I'd been doing this job for five years. Is this something that I want to do for the next five or 10 years? Uh, or is this not it? Is this not the thing? Do I need to be thinking about something else? And uh, that's when I began to do what uh, somebody encouraged me to do, which is if you're thinking about what you want to do with your life, don't look forward look backward. And I started looking back at my life and seeing all of these different things that I had done in different seasons and realized that creativity and creating content and, you know, just being sort of a, a creative person using music and art and messages to connect with an audience. That was something in one form or another I had always done. And I had this realization, I'm supposed to be a writer. I like the way you phrase that, though, of, of instead of looking forward towards the future and the unknown, of looking backwards and figuring out what are the themes and what are the things that have, have always kind of been present in your world and how, how do those things kind of come together to create that next step. So let's look backward a little more in your world. When you came out of high school, what, what was it you kind of wanted to do? What was it you kind of saw yourself doing? Just doing this marketing thing or is there anything else that was kind of on your radar at the time? I mean, the honest answer is I didn't know. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a marketer. Uh, most of the things that I've done in my life have surprised me and have in some form or another seemed to be accidental. And then in retrospect, I realized that there was kind of a, a larger purpose to them. So when I graduated high school, I knew that I wanted to go to college because everybody in, in my hometown that amounted to anything, had, had a college degree. And my parents didn't have college degrees. And my dad especially was emphatic. My dad had always kind of worked blue-collar jobs and often been passed up by younger, less accomplished guys than him for the promotions because they had this piece of paper that was arbitrary but to him significant. And so he insisted that I go to college. And so that's what I did. I, I went to college mostly on scholarships. We didn't have much money, and so I went, you know, went off of scholarships and worked on the summers to pay for you know, any, of, any book costs and that sort of thing. And I got a very practical degree in religion and Spanish. I had a double, <laughs> double major in religion and a, and a foreign language. And by the end of college, I thought I might want to be a, a missionary or, or work in the nonprofit world in, in some respect. And so I decided, again, because this is a very logical process, I decided that I would go be a musician. And so that's what I did for a year. I, I traveled with a, a band playing shows all over, the, all over North America, and then I moved to Nashville. What instrument did you play? Guitar. Guitar. Beautiful. All right. So you're chasing, for a bit, are you just chasing the music dream, feeling like this is there's something to this, or are you just feeling like, eh, it's better than the Espanol religious major that I've got here. So what, where's kind of your head at, at, at that point? Or is it just kind of, this is fun, let's just do this for a season? Well, music was something that I loved. And if there was one thing that I thought, man, if I could do this for a living, this would be it. It, it was my hobby ever since I was 16 when my dad gave me a guitar. Because my dad was a guitarist and he had played with all these different bands. And he had grown up in the 70s and 80s. And he had met people like Neil Young and he, I think he dated one of the girls from Heart for a while. You know, it's all these like classic rock bands. Like he knew these people. So, you know, like I had a lot of respect for him and I grew up listening to classic rock. And, you know, I'm, I, part of me wanted to be my dad, I'm sure. So, you know, when I was 16, I started playing guitar. 
I started playing in, in this band and in high school. We called it decaf, and that was because we didn't have a drummer. <laughs> we had two electric guitars and a bassist, and we thought, yeah, decaf. We're like decaffeinated music or something, music That's without awesome. percussion. So then in college, I played my plan in different bands throughout all of, all of college, and just kind of this random opportunity, the last semester of school, I went and saw this show and, and saw this music group perform that was a part of this like traveling organization. And so they would put together these bands uh, every year. They would put together these two groups and they would tour all over the U.S. and they would play in schools and prisons and they you know play in you know for public arenas. And, um, and, and they basically, at the end of their show, they invited the audience to uh, be a part of it. You know, if you play a musician, you know, if you play an instrument, if you're a musician, come see us afterwards. And so I went, I auditioned, they accepted me in the next year. And this was kind of a year-long commitment I spent that year touring with them all over the U.S., playing sometimes three or four, even five shows a day. And it, it was so intense that by the end of it, I was I was kind of burnt out on music. I, I had heard one of my friends who was in one of the bands say, man, if I couldn't play music, I don't know what I would do. And as soon as he said that, I remember thinking, I would just do something else. <laughs> it's and not that, that complicated. At that moment, I knew music isn't the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. It's not my calling. Because if it were, I wouldn't be able to just you know let go of it so easily. Do you think calling is the type of thing that is a, a permanent thing or do you think it's a, a seasonal thing where, you know, maybe at, for some part of life you felt like music was a thing, but then it kind of comes and goes and it has its phase. And so even now in the, in terms of writing, do you feel like this is, this is my calling? This is what I'm, I'm put on this planet to do. And this is what the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years look like, or is it more of a, I feel like this is what I'm called to do for the next, you know, five, 10 years or whatever that length of time is without feeling the pressure of, I need to know the one thing that my life is destined to produce. I think that's an important question, Grant. And and I think that's, um, we misunderstand calling and I've spent the past year doing a lot of research on the subject for a book and interviewing folks who are living their calling and just asking them, you know, similar questions, some of those same questions. And what I've come to understand is that uh, calling your calling is not one thing necessarily but i think we have to be careful really how we sort of steward how we take care of the uh, you know the desires and, and commitments that that we come across and the opportunities that we experience because i know people i think we all know people who feel like they're called to a new vocation every 6 months right and uh, we live in this very non-committal culture that uh, sadly leads to not much excellence and i think excellence is just a byproduct of commitment, of time being put in. And so sadly, if people feel called to something new every six months or a year, even every couple of years, few people are mastering certain fields to the point that they're creating something excellent that, that we can all you know, enjoy. So do I think your calling changes? No, I don't. But I think it can expand. And, and I think that's true for everybody that I've talked to when they honestly talk about their journey and they're clearly doing something significant and important in the world. They start thinking it's this thing. But as they get into it, it begins to expand. And they realize, oh, it was just this one thing. Like I felt like I was just called to be a writer. But once I started doing that, I realized I had a skill that I and I had knowledge that I could share with other people and I could help other people also become writers and share their message and story with the world. And so 
I think as you focus on a single thing that looks like something that's just one thing, on a calling, it actually begins to expand as you, you know, walk down that path. So let's let's go down that trail just for a second here as it relates just in, in general at large. Because again, I think a lot of people, we just way overthink it or we way overanalyze it and just stress about it and going, I just need to know the one thing. If I only knew what the one thing is, I'm happy to do the one thing if you can just tell me what the one thing is. And so <laughs> right. just like really, really like getting worked up about what's that one thing. So since you've done some work uh, on this and I know you've, you've got a project in the works on it. And so for someone that may be listening to this going, how do I find the one thing? What would baby be a next baby step or two for them to take to begin moving down that, that, that trail? Well, the thing that I think you do is, is what I did, what somebody else told me to do, which is to listen to your life, to not look forward, but to look backward. And I encourage people to go through a little exercise and, you know, draw a line of your life, you know, at the, on the left hand side, here's birth and on the right hand side, here's, you know, where you are right now and just sort of plot out significant moments in your life and the things that you were doing and try to find some general themes and, you know, themes are plural. Try to find a few things that you've enjoyed doing and explore those. I I think a calling is really the answer to the question, what do I love doing? What am I good at? And what adds value to the world? What do people need? And when you find the collision of those three things, you find this uh, sweet spot of purpose that is going to allow you to probably get paid. It's going to give you a great sense of satisfaction, and it's going to make a difference in people's lives. But when you're beginning, as, as you mentioned, Grant, you don't really know. And for a lot of the process, you know, you're just continually discovering stuff. But I think an important first step is to listen to your life, to, to look back at the things that you've done, the things that you've enjoyed and, and not enjoyed that much, and then to commit to doing a few of the things that you do enjoy and and seeing what kind of resonance happens, meaning when you do it more and more and more like I did with music, you'll either find that you really love doing this and it's adding value to people's lives and, and there's clearly fruit from it or there's not, which is a sign that you need to pivot to something else. The beautiful thing, the thing that I'm really excited about the more I talk to people is your calling isn't just a matter of you having to figure it out. It's a matter of you taking action and as you take action, you're sort of providentially guided to where you're supposed to end up. And everybody I talked to, I talked to a lot of people about this. They said, man, the thing that I'm doing, I never could have envisioned it, you know. But if I didn't start in a certain direction, I never would have got here. And so really the, the important part is to pay attention to the things that you like, start doing some things, and then see what resonates and kind of make course corrections as you go. Yeah, I like the I like the way you phrase that and put that because it's it simplifies it and it's like you don't have to have the answer you don't have to know the one thing you're just taking a baby step and and typically I, I found that to be true in my own life of what you describe of as you take one little step then it starts to become a little clear and you're going oh okay now now if I take this next step then okay now it's all starting to come together and there's so many people I've talked to who've said something similar of you know it all just magically worked out it's not like this magical thing but it was it starts with you taking action instead of just sitting on the sidelines and and waiting for this voice of God or this field of dreams voice from the field to come talk to you and and tell you exactly what your your next step may be. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact I w- I would say that 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 voice won't really that won't voice won't come to you. And if it does, you will struggle to recognize it. The way that you gain 
clarity is by taking action. Somebody once asked Mother Teresa, you know, who was clearly living her calling, right? Like she made such a huge impact on the world. They said, what is it like to have clarity? If anybody heard the voice of God, it must have been her. And she said, oh, I've, I've never had clarity. I've only ever had trust. Just let that hang there in the air. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Never had clarity. I've only had trust. Interesting. Yeah. So let's get back to your story. So you've, you've got decaf is touring the world and changing uh, lives and selling out arenas. Hopefully we can find some some decaf tunes in the oh cosmos of the internet and uh, I hope not. <laughs> locked up in some vault. You probably <laughs> tell me you have like cases of CDs sitting, or maybe even like cassettes sitting around your house or something that we can we can come raid sometime. So so anyway so. You're doing that. You wrap up. Is that at that point? Is that where you're going into the the marketing job? Yeah. So at the end of that year, I had no plans. I had a girl that I'd been writing letters to from afar who had just decided that she wanted to move to Nashville. We both grew up in Illinois. We knew each other in college, but we never dated. And then the summer after we graduated, I told her two weeks before. I was leaving for a year that I liked her and I wanted to like, you know, court her basically, you know, old school style. And I wrote her letters for a year. And so, you know, at the end of that year of touring, we were sort of deciding what are we going to do with this relationship? And, and she told me she wanted to move to Nashville. I didn't really have any plans. So I started writing emails to people saying, you know, people that worked in, in the nonprofit world asking for a job or asking for an opportunity or just asking for advice. And uh, one guy uh, in Georgia, a guy named Seth Barnes, uh, responded to my email and invited me to come work for his nonprofit organization as a writer. I, he saw that I had volunteered. Well, I guess it was a job. felt like volunteer work for what I was getting paid. Now, I, I worked as a um, campus writing tutor in college for a few years. I wasn't a, an English major, but I, I just, you know, I guess I was a good writer. And, and so I'd help other students with their writing. And he saw that work experience. And he says, oh, you're a writer. Come work with us. And the weird thing was, I did not think of myself as a writer at the time. And he unknowingly basically prophetically, you know, called me this, this thing that I would, you know, eventually become seven or eight years later. So he hired me as a writer and basically tasked me with figuring out how can we use blogs to grow our brand. And so uh, that's how it began. I started blogging. I started helping other bloggers, other people working in our organization, volunteers. I helped them figure out, how, you know, how can you use a blog to, you know, tell your story and, you know, kind of share the mission, get people to donate to your organization, that sort of thing. And uh, that turned into a marketing position. Eventually, I became the marketing director. And then I had to build a team. We'd never had a marketing team before. And it snowballed. But really, I mean, every step of the way, I had no idea what I was doing. I was biting off more than I could chew, being given more responsibility than I thought I could handle. And I just grew through those opportunities. And, uh, you know, over the process of about seven years, I actually gained a really good education in marketing. So when he first came to you and he said, hey, I've got a job for you, but it's a, as a writer, I see some skills in you and maybe I think this would be a, a good fit. Is your initial reaction like, yeah, that's it. I am a writer. I would love to be a writer. This would be perfect. Or is it like, well, I guess I could write. Like I've yeah, dabbled in right. it a little bit. Or what was, kind of your, what was kind of your initial reaction to it? Well, I was so directionless and malleable at the time. So I would have taken anything, but I, I knew that I didn't know a lot of things. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I knew that. And so I didn't I was, know what I didn't know. And I knew <laughs> that. That's beautiful. I was looking for somebody to say, you're this. And uh, he just has a knack for that. He became my mentor. 
And so, it, you know, we, it kind of began this uh, relationship of him telling me stuff about myself that I didn't really, you know, understand. And then me kind of trying that on and going, okay, like, let's see if this fits. So he would say, you're a writer. And then, you know, when it's time to build a marketing team, he said, you know, you're a leader and you need to, you know, build this team. And all the time he's throwing books at me. Uh, my boss had his MBA. And so he was, um, you know, really smart, savvy businessman and, and a good leader. And so I just learned a lot from him through that experience. But all along the way, I'm going, uh, I, I, I guess. But if you say this, you know, and after a few years of doing this and him saying that his intuition was right about me in a lot of respects, I began to trust that more and more. And, you know, submit to it, surrender to it and, and go, okay, like, I, I'm not sure about that, but I trust you and I'm going to try this on. And, uh, and, and that, that went on for seven years. How, how do you kind of balance that? Because I think some people maybe we understand the value of a mentor and having, you know, like connecting with people that are, are further than where we are or where we want to go in life. So how is it that whenever we connect with some of these people or maybe we have some of these people in our life today at this moment and they're like, hey, I see this for you. This seems like a really good fit. And so how do you balance the they're further than I am, so I should trust their judgment, but intuitively, I'm also kind of going, eh, I don't know that that really gels with what I'm hoping. So even for in your spot, as he's saying, you know, you're a writer and you're going, I don't know, am I? I guess I am. So because you said it, I'm going to go along with it because you could have totally gone a totally different direction in your in your career and your life could be at a totally different point today had you had you done something different. So how do you kind of balance that that feedback that you may get from outside people? Well, I mean, I think trust is crucial. And as we know, trust takes time. So it, it helps that I needed a job. And he said, you're right. And I go, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Give me the job. Give me the paycheck, uh, you know, yeah. So there was a real practical aspect there. But even now, you know, I, I continue to want to grow. And I think that um, you need to look at the person's track record. Do, you have, do they have a track record of excellence or wisdom or being a trustworthy person? This person had. Remember, this was one of the few people that I reached out to that I didn't know personally, but he was a leader. He had a blog. I knew who he was. And I trusted his track record, you know, at least from afar what I could observe. And, and so I was, you know, I had given him a little bit of credence already where I was going to go, okay, like even if I don't completely agree with this, I'm going to try it out. And so the second thing is, you, you know, you got to be, if you want to grow, you got to be willing to try new things. And if they don't work, then you don't try them again. So, you know, for me, it's, it's trust and then it's the willingness to try something out. And then as the relationship grows and deepens, you know, that person earns the right to speak more into different aspects of your life as uh, Seth, my boss, uh, my former boss, you know, clearly did as we, you know, walked together for years and got to know each other really well. I mean, uh, he had the authority to speak into almost any area of my life because I trusted him so much because when I would try something small and it worked, you know, like I would try something uh, again and bigger and it would grow and grow and grow. So I think, you know, as I look for mentors and I think the plural form of that is important. You don't just have one lifelong mentor. That's highly unlikely. Uh, what's more likely is you will have a series of mentors that come in and out of your life, some of whom you won't even recognize until they're gone. And that while they're in your life for that season, there's something important for you to learn from them. The question is, can I trust this person? That's an important question to ask. And if it's the, and the answer is no, then what you're willing to listen to from them should be probably, you know, limited, if not, you know, basically nothing. But if you do trust them or trust them a little bit, then you should respond in turn. So if somebody comes to me that I don't know and they tell me to, you know, 
change my business model or quit writing and go do something else and I don't know them, that's a pretty big change and I'm probably not going to do that. But if somebody I don't know, but they, they seem trustworthy for whatever reason, they don't seem dishonest and they tell me to do something small, I might try that or I might try the smallest version of, of the advice that they're giving me if, if it's coming from a trustworthy source. And then if it works, you know, we're in relationship together and I've, I trust them now and they could, you know, they could ask me to do something, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, difficult or intense right. or, you know, whatever it might be. So it's, I think it's an iterative process and with people, younger people, uh, I'm 31 and, and I remember in college and after college, you know, that our generation just kind of felt lost. We were looking for mentors and we didn't really understand how the process worked. And we were looking for basically a parent part two who was going to lead us through the next 10 years of life. And those people don't exist. I mean, you have to go find somebody and show them that you're willing to be developed and that you're willing to learn. And even then it's a trial and error process. Good stuff. So you're doing the, the marketing job and you're, you're working with this nonprofit. You kind of move up the, the, the ladder there. Uh, you're there for seven years. At what point are you feeling like, all right, I've kind of reached my potential here, kind of reached what I, I want to do. I think I'm ready to try my own thing. At what point are you starting to make that, that both, I guess, physical and mental transition into doing your own work? Well, it happened when I had a conversation with a friend. So I knew that I was dissatisfied. And at this point, I knew that I wanted to write I just didn't know how to get started. I didn't know what to do. And I was still, you know, this is funny. I mean, five years before my boss hires me as a writer and I still refuse to call myself that because now I'm a marketing director. You know, I wear lots of different hats. Uh, I don't really think of myself primarily as a writer. I have a conversation with a friend and he asked me what my dream is. And I said, well, you know, I I don't know. I don't really have one of those. And he said, really? Because I would have thought your dream was to be a writer. And it, I mean, it was interesting that this thing was so glaringly obvious to him, and yet I felt so confused. And I think that's often true in our journeys of trying to find our true vocation. The thing that is obvious to other people is, is sometimes veiled or mysterious to to us. And and sometimes, you know, matter of finding your calling is just you know asking five of your friends, what do you you know like what do you see me as? Anyway, he said that, and as soon as he said writer, something hit me. Something resonated within me and I just knew that that was it. It felt right. And I said, well, you know, yeah, I guess I'd like to be a writer someday. <laughs> and he said, Jeff, you don't have to want to be a writer. You are a writer. You just need to write. And that simple phrase, you're a writer, you just need to write, was what forced me to start my blog and forced me to start writing every day. And after he, less than a year of doing that. I got a book contract and a year after that, the book came out. And a few months after that, I had replaced my income, my wife's income and, and was basically ready to, to quit my job, which, you know, sounds like it all just kind of happened. It was a lot of hard work on, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff, but that phrase, I mean, it was the thing that I was, you know, almost waiting to hear. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's it. I am this thing. Now I need to start acting like it. And I, I, I guess I was waiting for somebody to come pick me or appoint me. And instead of just choosing to believe that I already was this thing and I just needed to get to work. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people that sit on the sideline and they're waiting for permission. You know, they're waiting right. for someone with their magical wand to come by and, and christen you as a writer. And now you may go forth and write. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, 
christen yourself. Like you can go do that yourself instead of waiting for someone to to pick you. I like the observation you had earlier too on, on just saying that so many times we miss what's glaringly right in front of us uh, in terms of skill sets and passions. And, and uh, I use the analogy that whenever, if you had your best friend came to you and they had this life crisis, you'd be really, really good at offering advice to them, but you would be a disaster at recognizing the advice in your own life if you were in the exact same situation. And I think it's so true that finding those people, those friends, those family people, people that you really love and you trust, you care about, and saying, how do you see me? What are, what are the things that I talk about a lot? What are the things that I I'm unconsciously drawn to. And just getting some of that outside perspective can be very, very illuminating to uh, where your life is and where your life is headed. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we are the least objective about our own lives and we need we need a community. I mean, you know, the fact that you can be a self-made man or woman, it's just not true. Every story of success in some way is a story of community. And it's important to use the people around you to help you find your way. Now, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more in depth here on your journey there of that year of writing because you're right that it, it's it sounds fairy taleish that someone christens me to write and I start writing and a year later I have a book contract and I quit yeah. my job and I pursue the dream of writing and it's like mm-hmm. yeah but at the behind the scenes you're busting your butt to make that happen so just give us a quick snapshot of what is that year like what are you doing to actually begin to build traction and gain momentum as a writer. Well, as soon as my friend said that you're a writer, you just need to write, I realized that activity follows identity. And so the first thing I had to do was decide, okay, I'm going to be a writer. Like I am a writer and I'm going to start calling myself that. And when you do that, the next natural question that people ask is, well, what do you write? And the answer was nothing. And I was tired of, you know, answering that question. I was like, well, I better get to work. And, and I think that there's something good about sort of forcing yourself into something where you have to do it. People talk about, you know, faking it till you make it. And I think it's really more like becoming who you truly are. So I got up every morning because I was now calling myself a writer. I would get up every morning at 5 a.m. and I would just start writing because for years I had dreamed of doing this thing and I thought about it and I watched other people succeed at it and I wasn't doing it. I was frustrated and I was tired of waiting. And so I had all of this pent up energy, years of energy that, you know, and thoughts and ideas that I wanted to share with the world. And so I just started writing and every day I would usually share those thoughts on my blog. And that's how I, I started my blog. And, you know, at first nobody read it, but you do this over and over and over again. You start to get good at it. People start to hear about it. You start talking about it. And uh, people start to listen. And that's, that's what happened that year is I got a lot of practice. I wrote at least 500 to 1,000 words every day, and most of which I shared on my blog. And people started to pay attention. And uh, it, it sounds simple, and it is kind of simple, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy. I was spending a couple of hours every day uh, without fail you know, writing and publishing my work. And I like what you said earlier that activity follows identity. That's that's gold right there. Write that down, boys and girls. That's good stuff. But I think that's true. That's and even kind of what you alluded to. That so much of that activity is when it feels like nobody's paying attention, mm-hmm. and you're getting up each day uh, before the sun or before the family wakes up, and you're you're writing five hundred to a thousand words. That at the time it feels like, or maybe it's more than just feels like. It actually is that nobody else is seeing it, other than you know your mom and your wife. So uh, how do you press through that? Because I think obviously that's a huge battle that so many people have as writers and just as as artists in general of going, I've got this thing, but it feels like 
nobody else is, is listening, nobody else is reading, nobody else is paying attention to this thing that I'm doing. How do you press through that instead of just being like, ah, screw it, it's not worth it, let's just pull the plug and go back to a, and get a job or something? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as a reason to be frustrated or you can look, you know, like well, I'm doing this great stuff. Nobody's paying attention. Or you can look at it as an opportunity to practice. And I know from my experience of playing music that you are never quite as good as you think you are when you're practicing <laughs> in the corner of your room where, you know, where nobody can see or hear you or, or, or listen to what you have to say. But when you're standing on stage, as you know, Grant, in front of 10,000 people or you write, a, write and publish a book and it's out in people's hands or you're playing a live show in front of an audience of hundreds of people, all of the sudden everything that's good gets magnified and everything that's bad gets magnified and and that's where you realize how hard have I truly been practicing. And I knew that the best way to practice was to practice in public. That I, as a musician, only became as as good a guitarist as I could be playing, you know, songs on on my guitar in my basement until I had to start playing in front of live audiences, which is a whole other kind of practice. And the same thing's true with writing. It's true with any skill, just about, especially any any kind of craft or art form. Uh, you don't really see what you're made of until you start doing it for real in front of people, even just a, a few people. And so writing and publishing your work on a blog for me was a great way to practice. How do I do my best work in a way that's going to capture people's attention? You know, so if I had one reader one day, how, how could I get to the next day? And how could I continue to not only make the work better, but, you know, uh, cause it to, to spread in some way. And, you know, basically what I learned was I'm not as good as, as I think I am. And this small audience is a great opportunity to fail small so that when I get a larger audience, I won't have some massive failure. I will have kind of worked through some of the initial kinks so that, that when that large audience comes and the audience does come, if you, if you do good work, the audience will come. The, the question is, will you be ready? And, and that's an important question. Yeah. Practicing in public, like you said, uh, that definitely raises the bar and it's, uh, you got to show up and it's not just, well, if I just sleep in today, it's not that big a deal because nobody's <laughs> paying attention. It's like, no, no, you're right. doing it in public. Everybody, right? everybody yeah. knows. And it may just be a couple people that know, but they know. Mm -hmm. And so you, you've got to make sure that you're, uh, I like that, this practicing in public. Now, one of the things that I know that you do as we kind of wrap this up is I know that you, you help other people not only get into writing, but just understand the craft and the, the business side of writing. So can you give us a quick snapshot of what, what Tribe Writers is? Sure. So tribewriters.com is this community of over 2,000 writers now who um, all feel like they have a story or message to share with the world. And through the course, we it's a course, a community, we have a forum, we have an, an eight-week course. It's a lifetime membership. You know, once you sign up, you're in for life. And it's this really cool community of people who are all you know, some of them are novelists, some of them are nonfiction business aspiring authors, but you know, all of them have something that they feel like they want to say. And we talk about how do you take a message and share it with an audience in a way that's going to resonate and spread. And I think 
50% of, of the work of a writer, of any communicator, is being really, really good at your craft. That's an, an important part. We say content is king, and there's some truth to that. But the other 50% is the audience side, and I think that art without an audience ultimately doesn't uh, make the impact that it's in, intended for. And so finding uh, an audience and knowing how to find an audience, which are you know is basically me borrowing from this marketing experience I have and applying it to the craft of writing and communication – that's the other part uh, of being a writer that, that a lot of people miss, and it's an important one, and that's what we talk about. Good stuff, man. So if we want to find out more about uh, Tribe Writers or just you in general, we want to, we want to stalk you on Twitter or uh, try to find our decaf album floating out there in the abyss. <laughs> Where do we go to find all this? If I ever run for political office and somebody finds one of those decaf albums, I am ruined. You can find me at goinswriter.com. Goins is like coins, but with a G, G-O-I-N-S, writer.com. I've got a free newsletter there. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter also there. All those links are there. And if you go there and uh, sign up for my email list, you'll get some some free stuff, including this uh, three-part series on how to build an audience, if that's something that you're interested in. Beautiful. Awesome, man. Jeff, always good talking to you, man. We'll talk again real soon. Thanks, Grant. It's my pleasure. There you have it, episode 25 with Jeff Goins. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you were inspired and encouraged. Hopefully it gave you some stuff to, to think about, some chew on, some of those uh, those more, more fresh-baked knowledge biscuits delivered right into your earbuds and delivered into your soul. Hmm. That was awkward and yet so adorable. But uh, as always, you can find the uh, show notes, links, everything we discuss at grantbaldoncom slash Jeff Goins. Uh, I'd encourage you, Search and scour the interwebs, my friends. See if we can find that decaf album. That would be uh, that would be interesting to see. I hope the, uh, this uh, this episode, this interview with Jeff, that was encouraging to you and and uh, forces you and causes you to take action. I, I love how uh, he talked about just raising the stakes on his own work, making it public. How I love the story of quitting his job, getting a book deal in under a year. And listen, that doesn't just magically happen. You know, Jeff kind of walked through his story there of the work and the, the sweat equity that he put into this dream in order to make it happen. And so that's what that's that's a great example of what we have to be willing to do in order to make those dreams in our own world happen. It doesn't just magically happen. This isn't like a, a Disney World fairy tale or something. You have to actually put in the work and there's days where it's not pleasant and there's days where it's not fun. But if you're so committed to getting out of where you are in order to get to where you want to be, that's what it's going to take. So again, I hope you were encouraged and inspired by that. Hey, as always, we really appreciate the reviews and ratings that you've left for us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you'd like to leave us an honest rating review on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave that at grantbaldoncom slash iTunes or grantbaldoncom slash Stitcher. Hey, also, I'll mention to you, we've got this new PDF about just connecting with highly, highly influential and typically very busy people. So how do you actually do this? How do you network with people? How do you get on their radar? So you can uh, download that PDF. It's for free. You can go to grantbaldoncom slash influence. So make sure that you stop by and check that out. Hey, final thing I'll mention to you is we've had a few people say, hey, you seem to do some speaking. Can you come to my event? Can you be a part of this deal? I'm part of this conference. I'm a part of this committee. Can you come speak to my company? Can you come talk to my team? Yeah, 
Totally. All of the above. We'd, we'd love to hear more about it. So uh, you can find out more information about our speaking at grantbaldwin.com slash speaking, but we'd love to visit with you. Feel free to email me at grant to grantbaldwin.com. And I'd love to uh, hear what you're working on, maybe an event that you're putting together, how maybe we can come and talk to your team, talk to your company, talk, speak at your conference or your event. We would love to be a part of that. So, and again, as always, I, I mentioned, I say it a lot and we get a lot of emails and I love hearing from people, but as always, feel free to just email me anytime. If you're chewing on something, you're pondering something, you're trying to figure out how do I go Go from something I hate to something I love. Here's my scenario. Here's my situation. Uh, what would you do in this spot? Give me some two cents. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you're wrestling with and how we can best help you support you, find and do work you love. Email me anytime at grant grantbaldwin.com. You can also find me on Twitter or Twitter at Grant Baldwin. So make sure that you swing by and check that out. Hey, that wraps up episode 25. Yeah, 25. Sheesh, we're a quarter of a century in. Look at that. Making progress, boys and girls. So uh, make sure that you have a great day. Make sure that you take action. Make sure that you do something different. I hope that these interviews are encouraging and inspiring, but I hope more than anything they're encouraging and inspiring enough that you're going to do something that we talk about. Don't just listen. Don't just sing along with the song. Don't just, uh, I don't know if there's any songs, unless you find one of those decaf songs. Again, let me know on that. But make sure that you do something with what we talk about. Don't just listen to it, but actually do something with it. All right, that wraps up episode 25. We'll come at you again real soon. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.